everybody, welcome to a very special episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, uh, and I am joined by my wonderful co-host Lucian over there at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. Hello. I, I love how you always say this extra special session or this special show. Yeah. And- <laughs> Uh, that's been a fun gimmick on Rod of Seven Parts, is I'll always be like, last week on a very special Rod of Seven Parts. <laughs> and everyone like very always looks at it. Like the first couple times I did it, they were like, what? And now it's like, oh, he's doing that again. Uh, but it's funny. An old Clone High reference, if you remember that show from the 90s. Or, yeah, go. late 90s. Date yourself. Way, way Date back yourself. in the 1980s. Uh, it, was a, it was a good show. Mm-hmm. Um... We are a D&D talk show. We're going to talk about all things Dungeons yes. & Dragons. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Um, and then we're going to talk about our uh, our home games and some other things going on. Um, but uh, I think the... Well, there's a couple of big things happening right now. But one of them is big. Baldur's Gate 3. What's going yeah, on there? I'm excited for this. So, yeah. I mean, September, we're almost going to get early access for those of you that are buying into it. Um, we've been seeing lots of videos coming out. It's definitely the next kind of edition of a isometric top-down Baldur's Gate. You get to mm-hmm. run a party of adventurers, full fifth edition rules. So I think this is the first yeah. time we're going to see fifth edition rules in electronic form. I think all the other game. Well, maybe that's not necessarily no, true. No, no, this looks true. Ones. Oh, it, yeah. are those all third edition rules? I was Which just ones? wondering. Like Neverwinter like and Icewind and Tomb of Annihilation, Candlekeep, or were those fifth edition rules? I don't know. Tomb of Annihilation was a uh, that was not fifth edition rules. That was the board game rules that they created yeah. uh, back in the day. Um, yeah, and I don't know what Candlekeep is. Like I know what it is, but w- there was a game called. Yeah, I think Candlekeep. there's another game. I think that's part of the name of Tomb of Annihilation, Candlekeep, because they made it off of the Candlekeep board game. But then they use the Tomb of Annihilation theme. So if you go onto Steam, yeah. you can see yeah. that that's in the name. Candlekeep is in the name of the Tomb of Annihilation one. Gotcha. And so I remember getting that one. Yeah, in the there's a Tales from the Sword Coast, but that felt like it was third edition rules. No, that was its own special rules. It had fifth edition names and Warlocks and Eldritch Blast and things like that, but it was... Uh... It was not fifth edition rules. And so something. a lot of, well, it was a video game and they just made their yeah. own video game and, and that's fine. But like, I feel like that was marketed as a fifth edition rule set and it, it just wasn't. And I did not have, and it was buggy. I just did not have much fun with it. Yeah. Um, I now, feel like Baldur's Gate is. Yeah. Baldur's Gate. No, it is. They, they, they yeah. in the demos, they've said like, Hey, you're doing sneak checks and you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, I think it very much is now. And it's, uh, it's turn-based, I believe. Yeah. You like, Yep. You like pause the time, like like uh, Neverwinter Nights was, and and Baldur's mm-hmm. Gate one and two, um, but those Divinity, were the old Divinity things. Sin, yeah, Sin Divinity Sin, something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, Divinity Original Original Sin, Sin something two, something like that. <laughs> the uh, one was a really good game, from what I hear. Now, <laughs> Lucian, somebody who plays a lot of games yourself, yeah, tons, Sir Lucian many. Gaming. Yeah. I uh, don't play as many games as you. What is early access? Why are we why are we marketing this? What's what's going yeah. on with it? It's like the modern day version of a beta program for a computer game back in the day. Because back in the day, you'd have an alpha program, which would be just people that the company would choose. Then they might open it up to a beta, which was a closed beta, invite only. Then an open beta, if they wanted to just let people in for free to look at the game, and then they would release the game. Sometimes they decided, why can't? Why don't we monetize that? We'll monetize a beta, 
and then you could pay to get in earlier than the actual game launches. And then you, it kind of morphed into, what about if we had people who really wanted to play the game, they could play an early access beta-ish version of the launch day, but they get in one week early, whereas everybody else gets the normal game at the normal price and they launch a week later. So then another way to make some more money. So early access typically means they're still in some testing phase. Mm -hmm. You can buy your way in typically, although not all early accesses are buy-in. Some are free, some are not. But it's a way for some companies to monetize people coming in to test their game early. And some people want that. Like I'll play a game if I love the franchise enough. I don't care if it's buggy. I don't care if it's not quite finished. I want in so bad. I'm willing to play through the bugginess so that I can be one of the first ones in and learning the game. So if it was like, you know, um, mm -hmm. I did it with World of Warcraft when it first came out, I bought into the beta there or, you know, if uh, you know a bunch of different games and franchises, I'm willing to pay to get in early to see, even though if it's not polished quite yet. So early access, I think on Steam, you can go to you can purchase early access, which allows you, now sometimes it's not always a week either. Sometimes it's only a couple of days. Sometimes it's a week. Sometimes it's more. So you have to see what the actual plan is. But they so, called it September 30th early access. But September 30th early access. But that, I mean, this are, so, you, but you're just paying for an unfinished game. Oh, yeah. Okay. But you have yeah, the yeah, game later <laughs> on is the idea. Now, right. uh, uh, something I haven't played, but I, I thought this game was released because everyone was playing it on Steam, was that mm -hmm. Untitled Goose Game. Sure. Uh, and then I saw a tweet that they're like, yeah, it released said uh, September whatever. And I'm like, what? Like, that game seems old. Like, yeah. why? What? And so that was an early release as well. Like, hey, test mm -hmm. our game. But pay us money to test extreme. our game. Yeah, for a year. And yeah. now they're going to release it in actuality. Yeah. Uh, and similar to what, like, No Man's Sky has felt like, I think. Because everyone jumped on board and they released and it was not finished. And now No Man's Sky is a pretty good game from what I hear. But that was, like, two years later it took yeah. to get the I developers to, to stuff. No Man's Sky was perfect. I, really? I was always against all the people that said it wasn't finished because it was exactly what I thought we were getting. I think just so many other people had hyped it up in their own heads to what they wanted the game to be, and that game wasn't that. Mm. And uh, so I had always loved No Man's Sky. But early access on Steam, like you said, is a perfect good example. I think also Steam allows developers to start generating money to help drive the development. So maybe they're most of the way done with the game. They can offer an early access version to get some funding in so that maybe they can hire the people they need to finish the game, finish the pieces they're at, and at least get some of the money in before that, you know, five or six year development time or whatever. Like you're talking about a goose game, you know, they're two or three years into that development. Uh, no Man's Sky, they've been working on it for four or five years. And then yeah. the release happened. Lots of these games could be 10 years in the making or, you know, five years in the making. So I think it's also a way for a developer if used not just as a money grabbing scheme, because don't get me wrong, there are plenty of people out there that use it as a money grabbing scheme. I think if it's used in the uh, correct sense as they're drumming up enough funding to allow players in early, but it allows them to hire the people they need to finish the game off in an expected time frame, that makes it a great game. So, In all honesty, uh, whoop, hit my elbow, that hurt. Uh, in all honesty, uh, uh, Pathfinder 2 did this. Yeah, like so. they were like, "Hey, we've got a play test. If you want to buy it, fifty dollars print book yeah. right here." Uh, yeah. But they also said, "You know, rules free PDF online over here." 
Um, but there were a lot of people at that. That was my first Gen Con. And there were people buying those books by the truckload. And I was like, what? Like, it's not a finished game. But I guess if you're a collector and you like Pathfinder, it's kind of cool to be like, here's the playtest rules and here's the actual yeah. rules, like, right next to it. Uh, and then to turn around a year later and just buy it again. But uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I also I, – I understand the collecting mentality of that. Like, if yeah. if there was a playtest for – you know, D and D rules or something. It'd be kind of cool to see how it's changed back and forth and have it on your shelf, I guess. Or I don't know. But maybe the brand new final fantasy role-playing game is about to come out big MMO, even bigger than the one that's still out now. And Jordan got an email that said, Hey, 20 bucks and you can be an early tester of this game. Would you like to jump in? You think, Oh, wow. It'd be kind of cool to jump in early and see how this game develops and be able to play all the different characters while it's leading up to release. So that when release does happen, you're kind of yeah. already been involved in the game. You know, you gave some feedback, maybe you made some friends and you built guilds and you figured out the systems. And then when release day comes, you're ready to hit the ground running. There's something fun about kind of preparing for a big world game that you know is going to launch on September 1st. So I just want this week of, oh, I want to learn all the little things because when September 1st hits, I want to be hitting the ground running and, you know, leveling up quick and all that kind of stuff. So it's a very MMO uh, player mentality. How long is uh, this early access going to last for Baldur's Gate 3? That I didn't see. I only saw... um... Because people are kind of treating it like it's being released, I feel. And I'm like, but it's not, guys. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, but no games. But are people are going to stream it and stuff like that, right? Like it's yeah, going to be like I'm, we probably have to get it and we have to stream. Yeah, oh, yeah. like I'm, this I'm is something that we have to do. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to buy an early access game, but I'm like, I guess I have to now. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I'm going to be left in the in the Twitch dust. Nobody will watch Danimals me stream. Throwing in for us because he wants to play it pretty much too. Uh, Australian Dungeon Act. He's oh, saying that Danimal. they've said only a small part of Act One will be available during early access, so it will be a chance to probably stress test the game. It'll be a chance to buy in a little bit early, but it won't be like you'll get to play the whole thing until the real relaunch comes out. Well, I mean, the stress test is working because I am stressed that I don't know when the I actual game's going to be released. Yeah. But there's so many classes. I'm good with that because that way I can just play either. Cause I'd love to know what is it like to play like a barbarian? What's it like to play a fighter? What's it like to play a wizard? What's it like to play the bard? And if I'm not trying to beat the game, I know it's only limited. Maybe it's half of a first act or something. I can play through it and get in. Maybe I can get an idea of, oh, this is what it's like if I'm playing a storm cleric, mm-hmm. you know, through that first half act. What is it like if I'm playing the totem barbarian through that first half act, you know, or whatever, or play the different combinations of classes in my party? Or how many people can I get in my party? Can I get three or four? Can I get companions? Can I get, you know, how does summoning and stuff work? What are the spells and how close is it to the, to the fifth edition rules and stuff? So I'm interested. I'm definitely willing to give them my money. I'm sure. Just the cinematic made me want to give him my money. I'll watch that cinematic all day. That cinematic's good. Is it like 60 bucks, though? How much is it? I'm sure it's the full price of the game. I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, I don't even know what the full price of the game is. I didn't even know. This is how not connected I am. I knew I'm buying it, but I just knew that (laughs) I didn't even look yet. (laughs) I'm going to my Steam right now. It should be somewhere. I got a lot of games in my my wish list. Um, my Baldur's wish Gate list is three. It just says coming soon. Yeah, I don't have a. My guess is is that September thirtieth is when you'll be able to go to Steam and see it and click on it and. It's got to be like sixty bucks, right? That's a. I'm, I'm guessing. I mean, that's Most games a, are these days. Yeah, yeah, that's a thing. Okay. Anyway, uh, interesting. The 
the re another reason we bring it up is uh, there was an interview or somebody was talking, somebody was tweeting that um, Baldur's Gate 3 is going to be a direct sequel to the tabletop Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. So the ramifications of that storyline is where we pick up in the game of Baldur's Gate 3, which is kind of cool. I don't think we've had that transition from a uh, tabletop like that, like a, a sequel, you know? Um, and mm -hmm. it makes me think of, there was a, a game called Hyperlight Drifter that was on uh, Steam, and, and I think it's on various amounts of consoles. Very fun game. I liked it a lot. Those are the kind of games I usually play and enjoy is weird pixelated ones that because they're just fun. Mm -hmm. um, but that game, Universe, spawned a tabletop role-playing game. And it made me think of like, okay, well, that's kind of cool if they would continue the story of Hyperlight Drifter with like a module that you could play at the table with dice. Uh, that would be kind of interesting. Uh, and, mm -hmm. But I don't think that's what happened. And I don't think their Kickstarter was successful. But uh, anyway, so this is, that's kind of cool. Like that we're, we're, we're building bridges and I don't know, kind of make, makes me yeah, want to reread Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus before I start playing Baldur's Gate 3. Yeah, because so. usually they create the products, the tabletop products are vaguely or loosely connected to any of an electronic product or a card product or mm -hmm. a board game product that they create or whatever. There's, there's some familiarity, there's some, but the storylines aren't intertwining, you know, they're mm -hmm. not they, very rarely have they, they kind of linked both of those together. So I think it feels just like we're getting more of the magic, the gathering campaign card set that's being released once you know there's a bunch of sets that get released but one of them being tied into a DD &D release book and then a computer game being tied into directly to the end of a DD &D released book mm -hmm. maybe they'll get a cartoon eventually or a tv show or whatever and maybe that starts to tie in to a book release storyline i think they're trying to move in that direction though slow that those things are starting to connect more closely than just, well, we're creating lunchboxes and we're putting the D&D &D logo on it and here's a D&D lunchbox and that's cool. It's marketing. It's, right. it's a thing, but it's not really anything to do with Dungeons and Dragons per se. It's just a, a marketing thing. Whereas this sounds like it's more tied stuff together. Like yeah. if we somehow got Stranger Things season five, I guess you can't because they're in the 80s, but they need to flash forward and get a book from now and take it back to their game in the past so somehow that that show tied into dungeons and dragons today that'd just be through the roof or they start showing old modules maybe the kids go and pick up some of the old modules mm -hmm. from the store and it just shows like they buy some of those those crazy fun old 80s modules and just yeah like the white in. plume that mountain so and then cool. resell white plume mountain as like an individual yeah. module uh no uh that's very comic booky though like like, yes. you know, Captain America has his storyline and Iron Man has his storyline. And then they would come together and fight for the Avengers and the movies that Marvel put out. And so I think that maybe that's an expectation that we have now is like we yeah, want this interconnected universe. And yeah. uh, this is this is Wizards of the Coast way of doing it. And, yeah. you know, they were working on Descent into Avernus while they're mm -hmm. working on the story for this. So it kind of makes sense that they're like, well, we can just make it one story. Like, why not? Uh, whether it was that thought out, who knows? But I don't well, think we know. I don't think Baldur's, Baldur's Gate. We know. I don't think Baldur's Gate three is going to hmm. sell more copies 
or I should say this, I don't think Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus will start selling more copies because Baldur's Gate 3 came out. The people that want to play Baldur's Gate 3 will just play it. They're not going to be like, wow, I need to get more lore. I better buy this module and play mm -hmm. a two-year module with my friends. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but I, yeah. I, I think it was just like a, hey, we've got this story. Let's continue this story. So I, I could see somebody playing the game, computer game, loving it, happen to be walking through a store and maybe a Baldur's Gate book is sitting in the comic book store and they would stop to think, oh, wait, I play that game quite a bit and maybe at least pick it up and look at it versus any other random book title from Dungeons and Dragons might not grab their attention. But if, if the book that they, in a game they like to play, even though they've never even played Dungeons and Dragons, because really the reality is as much as we're in it, there's still millions and millions of people have never played Dungeons and Dragons. There might be millions of people that don't even know what Dungeons and Dragons is. I, I think we might be getting past the point of people not knowing what it is, but you know, we're always getting younger people and they're always you know, growing older and they they grow up and maybe they don't even know about Dungeons and Dragons, but they played the video game and maybe that is a tie. And I don't think it's like thousands of copies or millions of copies, but maybe, maybe you get a couple of people to say, well, you, you were saying game? like, yeah, somebody, somebody walks by and they see it and they stop and look at it. I mean, yeah. going I back, that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, going back. That's exactly why people put the D and D logo on lunchboxes because yeah. you stop. You're like, oh, I recognize that logo, oh, but you're not oh. necessarily going to buy a lunchbox. So I don't see the difference there. I guess, and I don't. Yeah, yeah. I I was not entirely sure what point you were trying to make, but anyway, <laughs> well, it's not a huge marketing thing, but I could see it being a name recognition tie-in, which yeah. marketing people are typically all about. They always okay. want that name recognition versus, like you were saying. Does it translate to actual copies being sold? Probably not. I don't think any of that stuff mm. translates. But how much did Stranger Things adding in Dungeons and Dragons to their show season one, could we figure out what that translated into for people buying books or, or starting Dungeons and Dragons for the first time? It felt like I saw a bunch of people ask me about Dungeons and Dragons after they watched Stranger Things. They'd never played. They'd only heard about it. And that was something that just popped up. My wife asked me about it. She'd never played. She'd never did anything. But it was in the show we were watching. And she started asking me questions a little bit, not enough to get involved or anything. But I wonder if what it would have been like if we'd have known translation-wise. I don't know if you could ever tell. How many books did that sell for them? A hundred? Um, thousand? I, I would say they 100% they do know because of, well, maybe they like, know. we want to make this stranger things D and D tie in that they did and stuff like that. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I think specifically they, they very much, It'd be cool there, there's probably not a finite number, but like they knew enough that they're like, Oh, we should do a stranger things comic book based on their D and D characters, which is what they're doing. So, um, yeah. next there was a, a mysterious MP3 sent out by wizards of the coast Friday yesterday on their discord. Now I think this was, and then all of the other marketing they did, which was on Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff were like, you should go check out our discord. There's something there. And, mm -hmm. uh, it was an MP3 called feather and tart MP3. Um, I will play it for you now. Uh, Lucian will not be able to hear this, but, uh, he can play it oh. if he wants to. So here we go. Feather and Tart. One, two, three. <laughs> I'll play mine. So. <laughs> it's a lot of laughing. 
It's uh, yeah. a lady laughing. Um, very fun. And uh, sorry, you're, you're probably still playing on your end. No, no, it's not. I, I didn't get to play. Go oh. listen to. <laughs> go listen. To <laughs> go it. to the Discord. Go to the Discord. Um, to now, the Discord. Uh, I think this is a. They're trying to a. I think they're trying to grow their Discord. Uh, a lot of people, not a lot of people, I saw some uh, upsetness on the internet that they were like, why are they doing this marketing this way? This makes no sense. But I, I think they wanted to get, you know, gamers use Discord. I think they wanted to, hey, join our D&D Discord so we can directly market to you is what I think they want. Now, uh, sleuths on the internet who are smarter than me started putting this together. Uh, there is laughing. And Feather mm-hmm. and Tart are the casting components to a spell called Tasha's Hideous Laughter. You might be familiar with this from Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. That's uh, good sleuthing. It's, it is good sleuthing. So Feather and Tart, mm-hmm. the casting components for Tasha's Hideous Laughter. Now, Tasha uh, is the nickname of Natasha, who is a wizard mm-hmm. from Greyhawk. She is an archwizard, one of the Circle of Eight from Greyhawk lore. Later on... And I don't know why, because I don't really know her uh, history, but you bet that I will be writing a script today about this. Um, and we'll, I'll try to get some information out maybe Monday or Tuesday. We'll see. Uh, she took the name Igwilv. I-G-G-W-I-L-V. Now, Igwilv uh, is uh, the same lady, Natasha, Tasha, or Igwilv. Uh, she was a prominent demonologist. Um, and she wrote, uh, like, wrote just like, you know, fictional characters, like Morden Kanan wrote the other one that we had. But uh, she wrote The Demonomicon of Igwilv, which is uh, a physical book that you can buy. And I think it's also an in-game book. Yeah, it's, a, it's an artifact that you can get. But uh, third edition, maybe second edition, they, uh, they made this. And a lot of people reference this book, like how to summon demons, how to control them uh, in other books and things like that. So kind of interesting. It was full of spells and rituals and contained information about demon lords and stuff. Uh, apparently, Igwilv dated uh, Grisat a little bit for a little while. He's a devil that became a demon lord in the abyss. I've got a video on him if you're interested. Um, so the new book, like we've always been speculating about this new book. Um, that we're doing all the playtesting for and all the other stuff. Where this this November release, Wizards of the Coast have always had a release in November. Um, a lot of people are thinking it's now going to be Igwilv's something of something, just like Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes. It will be Igwilv's Demonomicon of Planner Entities name, or something. Uh, you you don't like the name? Is that what you said? Oh, that's such a tough one to the, to market a book on. Don't you think? Maybe it, maybe it'll be Tasha. It might be Tasha's. Well, I could see Natasha. Something or other. Tasha, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and they they might go with Tasha just because of Tasha's hideous laughter. Uh, but apparently she goes by Igwilv now, so I don't know. Um, but uh, so thank you, Internet sleuths. Um, very <laughs> interesting. I I found this out this morning. I was uh, I knew Feather and, and then the internet put it together for me, and I'm like, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, November release, a lot of, I read one article that was saying, um, you know, we're, we got, we got to focus on subclasses, but not just subclasses like planner subclasses. So they think it's going to be a manual of the planes. Um, fifth edition has not had a quote manual of the planes yet. Uh, and so Jordan's been hoping every, every 
guess for a new book is always manual on the plane. Hey, well, they keep, they keep saying. <laughs> uh, but November's huge to release a book because they want all those Christmas sales and things like that. So uh, the variant rules, a lot, you know, play, Player's Handbook 2. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Igwil's Manual of the Planes. So right. we'll see. <laughs> time will tell. Uh, apparently there will be, I'm making Lucian cry. He's so upset. Uh, I'm, I'm making, um, uh, Allergies. they will be making an announcement. Monday is the speculation. So perhaps Monday we will be getting, uh, some information on whatever this, uh, this tarty laughing MP3 is that came and out. And it wouldn't be the first, uh, Greyhawk wizard, no, Mordekin. crossover because yeah. we had more circle King, of eight. So yeah, yeah. So that's interesting that they brought a few more over uh, into their multiverse, which is pretty cool. I think most of the circle of eight have like once Greyhawk was like, hey, this is part of a bigger expanded universe. Uh, they they've been doing. I don't know. I've been I've been reading up on the planes, uh, specifically Planescape and uh, Spelljammer lately. Because it's really interesting how they made that decision of, like, we want all the worlds to connect in some way. But gods, it, and gods are the weird ones, right? Where you think you're you're an omnipotent god, but the gods will be just Greyhawk gods. Or these gods will be just, you know, for, Forgotten Realms gods. Yeah, their sphere and of influence. Yeah. Yet these arch wizards go everywhere. A Sarak right. from, you know, Vecna from Greyhawk, but they'll go anywhere and everywhere. And so they're more present and omnipotent in the world and the planes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and just looking at uh, Igwil's um, Forgotten Realms page, it says that she's got, uh, she's got mansions on the material plane, the abyss, Hades. Like she's got little, you know, locations all over that she, mm-hmm. you know, summers, summers in Hades. But, uh, you know, winters in the Forgotten Realms or something. So who knows? It's interesting. Yeah. Very, I love it because I still love Greyhawk. I still have a... I was just reading um, one of my books, the Gary Gygax book, because he creates the... The next game he creates after Dungeons & Dragons when he leaves TSR is that Dangerous Journeys box set down there, right there. Mm-hmm. And in the foreword of that thing, it gives a little history about what Gary was thinking and it talks about his Greyhawk campaign that uh, he had been talked into putting his campaign world into the games that they could sell modules, which was Greyhawk, but he always kept some things back and he never told the whole story because he was always worried that the game he had been running for 10 years, that his players would know about stuff that was in the game. So he always had kind of what he called it, almost like a retail version of his campaign world, even though he was still running the real campaign that was the Greyhawk campaign off of that. And one of the things they talked about in that is Gary's original idea. I didn't know this. It was just, I was just reading it yesterday is the D and D world that he created. Greyhawk is actually an analog of our world. And Greyhawk is right near Northern Illinois, but oh, he never really? put that in. He never put that in the modules that they were selling in TSR because they made it more homogenized and more, you know, just more base. Anybody could yeah. use it. Nobody ever said it was supposed to be based on our world. But in his campaign where he developed Greyhawk and re- truly ran Greyhawk, it was an alternate reality of our world. So that made it really interesting. And they talk a little bit more about that in, in the book. And then it goes on to say now he wanted to make this new game and how he's going to do it. And in the game he makes, they call it Earth, A-E-R-T-H, is the campaign world he builds. 
and it has maps of basically the globe, but everything's different. The map, the land masses are the same, but all the other stuff is fantasy based and magic based and different because that's the world he wanted to build. So I thought that was really interesting to just read back on something like that and, and I totally had forgotten, you know, that there's a whole nother game he had even built on. So we have more information coming about the Greyhawk and then leading into Forgotten Realms and such. So yeah, I wonder. Very interesting. I, I It's got to be because of Drist, but that's why, why did they just abandon uh not abandoned but like you can still play in in uh greyhawk but they just kind of were like oh bye greyhawk and and you know fourth edition is its own thing third edition is also kind of its own thing but like when wizards got a hold of it they were just like we're gonna really push this forgotten realms thing especially (coughs) excuse me with fifth edition and maybe it's because of the video games baldur's gate neverwinter a lot of people got into D&D through those um and there weren't greyhawk games that i am aware of uh, even way back, like Pool of Radiance, and think I think that was a a, a a Forgotten Realms game. So I don't know, but it it's interesting because there's a lot there's a lot in Greyhawk, and a lot of stuff is yeah. these wizards have created Greyhawk, or or they they've are foundational names for D and D. Yet we don't yeah. have Elminster's magic staff spell. You know, you have. You have Morden Kanan's uh, Magnificent Mansion, you know. So. I suspect if we did the sleuthing, we would find out and find out more about the darker side of Gary Gygax and the, his relationship with TSR yeah. and the breaking up and then the infighting that happened and then the group who decided they didn't want anything to do with Gary at all and forced a complete shift from anything that Gary had created on purpose because mm-hmm. they, it, it wasn't like a, a great shake your hands and we'll all go our own way and we'll all be happy friends afterwards. As far as I could tell, it felt like it was a very nasty breakup of a company and a, a creator and not being happy. And it would be similar. I think we would see the same thing happen if all of a sudden Keith Baker had a terrible falling out with wizards of the coast then all of a sudden what happens to Eberron if they're yeah, we're, we're not going to support damaged. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think that's kind of some of it. Um, I think maybe it's new creators coming in wanting to build their thing. You know, the, the other creator got to build his thing. That creator's gone now. I'm the creator there. Do I get to build my thing? Maybe that's part of it. I wonder if a lot of that all mixes together to to see the shift in the worlds. And maybe the great, and like, I think there's probably other things like maybe Greyhawk was, too gritty or they wanted more high magic so then it was another good reason to maybe switch or like you said an author came in and they wanted to tell a really good story and now oh we have a big time author that wants to write maybe that's going to help a little bit you know so i bet there's not just one factor but i bet it's just a mix of those no you're probably right because uh ed greenwood although doesn't own the the realms anymore he still loves it and he talks about the forgotten realms and, and things like that so he's He's invested it in it, sure. whereas uh, it's like, oh, who created the realms? Like, or who created Greyhawk? Gary Gygax, and he's like, yeah, screw those people. I hate what they did with my world. And it's like, oh, yeah. well. So, whereas you know, like Ed loves that you play your games in the Forgotten Realms. Like he he loves right. that. Like he's all about it. So, um, yeah, you're probably right. That's probably like just the the direction they're going is like we have somebody who actively will promote our product. Well, mm-hmm. let's do that. So I don't know. There you go. Yeah. And um, he, he, he goes on to be a competitor 
too. So I think that's another thing. Like, yeah, it's he this did, idea yeah. of not only am still, I yeah, out, they still have I'm going to start building a company that's going to take you on and I'm the creator of what you have and I'm going to come, you know, that whole thing generates into that. And I think yeah. that's ha, just ha. a crazy part of it. No, the, I am industry. the creator. <laughs> you yeah. merely lived in the darkness. Um, right. All right. So that's, we're going to have a new book. It's going to be something. Well, I wanted Elminster's book. That was my yeah. little note on there. I wanted what? Elminster's book because what? Elminster was the, the wizard I remember growing up thinking about. I didn't know the names of Mordekainen, barely knew Vecna, maybe had heard of, you know, a few of the others, but Elminster was. Uh, yeah, you're even Nestor. saying it wrong. So that's funny. Elminster. Sure. That's, that, <laughs> I always, that's how I always read it though. I mean, just that's. I want that book. And I'm always going to say it's my world, Jordan. They, it, yeah, it's they your told world. me it could be my world. Uh, everybody, we need to pause the show. Indoor Adventure is here and he's late. So shame what? him. Shame. What? Everybody in uh, chat, shame I'm going to, if I could send that gif of the the um, Game of Thrones the shame bells, lady, yeah. I would. Shaming you. Um, no, that's, yeah. So we're getting a book. Uh, what would you call uh, Elminster's book though? Elminster's uh see i'm trying to think what is what is quint beard elminster's beard of nice he's the most powerful wizard though right Mm, he's up there but i don't know if he's the most powerful hasn't greenwood always kind of i mean he's bubbling around and he's doing stuff but in reality his power is on par of like he is the gray wizard or the white wizard he is the gandalf of forgotten realms are you great are you disagreeing well, no, I'm not. I'm just saying <laughs> Ed Greenwood, uh, he dresses up like Elminster. Like, and yeah. it is it is his way of putting himself in the Forgotten Realms. And if oh. he if you do that, you are all of a sudden like he can't be killed and he can't be this. So mm-hmm. and I've read uh Elminster books. Uh I do not particularly enjoy them, but oh, I loved uh, it. Loved it. Danimal gave us a good uh, one. Elminster's Eldritch in Kyderon. Oh, see? And Kyrideon. Why don't you Ooh, have a hate that word. podcast? You're way better, Danimal. Um, Danimal's good. He's, he's a, a great guy. DM, too. Great DM. Uh, then there was a lore you should know. I did not watch this because I just don't have time. But what was it on? Yeah. Well, and I only watched just the first part of it. You definitely want to go check it out on the D&D channel. It was the only thing I saw that wasn't a streaming game. They've got a lot of streaming games going on if yeah. you're interested in that. Um, but it was Clothis, which is part of the Theros Pantheon. Ah, and they were the magic in some more information about how unique Theros is and the way the gods and the heavens and the things are connected. And they're, they're, it's done a little differently. Um, you can read up on the Nyx, uh, which apparently is like the sky above that looks like blackness and stars in it, but it's not really that. And it's got an interesting twist to it. So any of you lore junkies that are looking for some good stuff on Theros, uh, you might definitely listen into that one because it sounded pretty cool. And you got to see one of the other creators that we don't see on the channel very often, Ari. Um, Ari Levitch or Levitich or something like that. Sorry about the name. Um, but it's cool to see another one of the you know creators talking about a piece that they'd created for this book, which I think. And it's still, Theros has got to be one of the top books of 2020, I feel. It's, it's it's a great book. I love reading through it. Um, it's really I I mean I I liked it. I, I I guess I go back to like I don't I wouldn't run a I don't think I'd run a Theros game, and I don't think mm-hmm. I would run a uh, Ravnica game. But like the the Magic the Gathering settings they've put out, I've just kind of been like, mm-hmm. eh, 
Like, but so they are well the done one? books. Like, I liked reading the Ravnica book. I really enjoyed that, and I liked reading the Theros book. Um, mm-hmm. I actually found a DM's Guild supplement that does the exact same thing with the gods in Theros, but with the Forgotten Realms. And I had a lot of interest in that because I was like, I could be a rogue that follows the god mask of thieves and I could get cool mask abilities at certain pious levels or whatever piety, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. So I like I like that as a as a thing. But I would much rather just play Greek mythology because I'm just not as invested in this uh, Magic the Gathering world, you know. The art know. was amazing, though, but that's because Magic the Gathering card art is amazing and they use 90 percent of that. So. <laughs> So if that's not your book of 2020 for D&D release, what is your book of 2020? Probably this November book that's going to come out. Although I'm very excited yeah, for Icewind Dale. Seen yet. Right. <laughs> I'm very excited for Icewind Dale. Icewind Dale looks cool. I could change my mind. I definitely could change I think, my mind. I think, I'm, I think I want to run Icewind Dale online. Frozen cities um, in the cliff. Still, that's still good stuff. Yeah, I don't... We can't wrap up Rod of Seven Parts by September. But... Maybe by October, rolling. and then I could just be like, "You guys want? You guys want to play? Uh, want to play some Ice Medale? Yeah. Um Bringing us all around our favorite part around. of the show, Bardic Inspiration. <laughs> oh man, so exciting! Uh, here we are. You know, August twenty second, mere weeks away from uh, Icewind Dale, and uh, Lucian here is talking about Forgotten Realms. And he's really, he's confused. What's going on? What is your bardic inspiration, sir? Well, yeah, yeah. Get the, get the pitchforks ready here, Jim. Yeah, I'm ready. If this is true. It's not like anybody runs a channel on the Forgotten Realms. It's that... called Forgotten Realms. Yeah, where did it go? Read in the beginning, I think it is of the Dungeon Master's Guide when it talks a little bit about the, the campaign setting world of Forgotten Realms. What does it emphasize that is Forgotten Realms? What does it say that makes it the world got run and it's in the title spoiler you're asking me yes in the dungeon a master's specific guide. page of the dungeon master's guide what is it i do not have it all the memorized who runs forgotten realms explained um, don't have uh, the dmg memorized i'm sorry <laughs> well i as i recall paraphrasing not word for word oh, oh they talk about that it's a world of forgotten realms that are built upon each other century after century millennia after millennia uh-huh. and there's thousands of empires that have risen and fallen and that's why they call it the forgotten realms because of all of these buried and and huge empires and things that had spanned this world and and are just waiting to be found right or mm-hmm. just just mm-hmm. below the surface or just waiting to be rediscovered in this crazy world have we had a book that's talked about any forgotten realm in Faerun. Yeah. Not We've only edition. talked about the current. <laughs> right. There you go. That's where I was going. <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't I mean, we call so... it the current realms. No, no, no. Well, you, okay. Yeah. The, the yeah. remembered realms. Uh, the remembered realms. No, the, the idea the is that, realms. like, I mean, you go to Waterdeep and I think the idea is that you're just digging. Like, I'm going to go to Waterdeep. Oh, look, a hatch to a sewer. Oh, this goes a lot further than I thought. Oh, there's a city down here. Oh, there's like an ancient this. Uh, that, you know, underneath the ground, underneath the sand of time, there's been uh, ancient civilizations, which is true. Uh, you know, you had the Saruk and the Baraki, Batrachi, and a bunch of other really interesting, weird, amphibious snake races that ruled all of uh, Faerun back in the day. Um, and now it is 
it is man's turn and elves and stuff and things like that. So, and you notice there are no realms right now. There's almost no actual kingdoms, no actual large landmass things well, that, that you would even consider a realm. Like a like what a, is a realm? Then I should Google it. I would think a realm would be like when you have you know Game of Thrones sized factions or the kingdom of this fights yeah. the kingdom of that not just city states is what we kind of have now everything in forgotten realms is very small not kingdom based it's kind of a loose faction of people that work together but nobody's come in and actually made themselves duke or king or emperor or lich king or walking god of you know <laughs> whatever like we supposedly had in the past of forgotten realms when they talk about the forgotten realms and they talk about these great spanning empires yeah yet we live in a time that has none of that and it's all buried and the only books we get that help us as a dungeon master to run adventures are in these smaller little places and don't really talk about diving into these great realm spanning kingdom spanning empire spanning history of forgotten realms so uh the sword coast very much city states like you were saying uh yeah. water deep and neverwinter and the they they um, all kind of work to not think uh no now om is a kingdom om is not a city afkatla is the capital of om tathir not a city that is a kingdom kalimshan also that kalimport in kalimshan so okay. i think you are wrong i like uh, it's good the so shar the book chahandath chesenta termish cormir sembia Narfel. I'm looking at a map. Yeah. I could go all day. Aglaron. What's my They're What's my module Faye. I can play there? Fay. <laughs> uh, what module can you play there? Uh, none. Yeah. Fifth uh, edition. Well, um, that they just Chult, released? maybe. So. Ch- Chult a kingdom. Chult is not a kingdom. It's it's a peninsula. It's, it's a like region. A uh, but most people think it's an island. But yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it used to be an island back in the day. Um, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, there's <laughs> not like Lantan. That's a kingdom. Um, so I don't know. Oh, actually, here you go. Icewind Dale. That is a kingdom up there in the north. It's a city too, right? No, I don't think so. I think it's just a big kingdom. I thought there was an Icewind Dale city. Uh, no, there's 10 towns in Icewind Dale, Mirabar, uh, Luskin. You do have the Dales. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's just kind of that. So the Silver Marsh. Anyway, so I disagree with you. We do have realms. (laughs) in the forgotten realms but the point of the name is that they are forgotten so perhaps right. uh you know the old netheril empire and things like that so mm-hmm. i don't know it's not really a bardic not inspiration so me. much as let's just have <laughs> well, an argument with jordan the reason, right, right I, I wanted to get under uh, jordan's <laughs> skin because if i'm right then his channel doesn't even need to exist at this point he needs to i'll redeem. delete everything so he's tomorrow. definitely gonna I'm fight sorry hard on it which is good oh he should gosh. and i'm being facetious when i ask it a little bit Every but it is like interesting this. that if you're new to this world you're new to the genre you don't know about third edition you haven't done your second edition in advanced dungeons and dragons research like us gamers have you're pretty new to it you wouldn't know anything about any of those forgotten realms or any of those things you just named would not even be in your lexicon if you just started dungeons and dragons in the last five years Right. So it's interesting. I to feel me. like you're nitpicking, though. I, I, I am. This bit. is also <laughs> something that they named the Forgotten Realms back in yeah. AD&D. 
yeah. when it really was like we didn't have any idea and then ed greenwood's like actually the netheril lived way back here and he started giving them all this information well to be it like, comes from two things the whole reason i kind of brought it up it comes from two things is one the city in the in the ice thing that we talked about last week because that's oh, yeah. the adventure when we looked at that picture we both looked at that picture and said that's the adventure i want to know about because guess what that could be a forgotten realm that we've not heard about and we could learn something really cool and new about the history of this place we play in and it was exciting to think about that and i was mm -hmm. thinking that they're missing the boat a little bit by not doing more of those kinds of things and then to bring it into why would I want to put this in Bardic Inspiration and not just argue with uh, Jordan's segment, which we could have if we need to. We could put up argue with Jordan's segment. Is Bardic Inspiration was I'm challenging us dungeon masters who love playing in Faerun, who love playing in Forgotten Realms, to come up with Forgotten Realms put them out there on the comments, put them out there in the discord, talk about these cool ideas that we could then bring in the game and make it truly forgotten realms again, make it about there was this cool kingdom in this place and they spanned these years and these were the things they did. And this was the history and it's all buried now. And it's all doesn't have anything to do with right now until our adventure party stumbles upon it. Once again, you know, I challenge all of you to go out there and make your own forgotten realm for us dungeon masters to pull into our games. So that was how I was slowly leading my way around to the bardic inspiration part. And just to put a little burr into, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. There's, there's, <laughs> there's two different ways you can go about this when you're running a game. Um, and it's super like, not even the dungeon master knows what this is. You know, mm -hmm. it is, it is forgotten. We don't know. Yeah. And the other one is there is a huge backstory that the DM knows, but like the players have to uncover and mm -hmm. not using Forgotten Realms as a, as an example, uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics, uh, the oh. game I love to talk nice. about. Um, every one of their, not everyone, but the majority of their adventures are just like, you're just a, you don't know. And, and they offer no explanation, but like a hole, just like a sunken, uh, you know, like a pit opens up in the ground. You go and investigate. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden there are temples, there are snake people, there are weird lizard attacking you. I feel like Numenera is this way too, but yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And, and it, yeah. there's no explanation other than like, I guess it's always been there because you know, your little, uh, Thank you, Danimal. Jordan mentioned DCC, take a drink. Uh, you know your world <laughs> of farming and things like that. You don't know the, the big, there's no candle keep. Now, the opposite side of that is Hot Springs Island. Fantastic yeah. OSR module. You can play it with any system. I play it with Dungeons, or 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, that is, you're on an island and you're slowly uncovering like what happened here. Like, there yeah. are ancient runes, there are sludge monsters attacking me, there are weird animals, and mm -hmm. on top of all of this history, you have uh, modern day stuff where they're trying to get you to find money and stuff. So it's really cool. It's really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, Danimal, That's I will run... That's the kind run... of bardic inspiration I was looking for. That right there. That yes. That was the good stuff. Danimal, I will run a uh, DCC game for you and Lucian, because he has also not played, and we should, we should play... Uh, a... A roll 20 DCC do some funnel. Um, do some I've funneling. got, I actually bought the virtual, the, uh, Goodman games started selling virtual tabletop bundles of maps and stuff. Nice. So if you want to play like this adventure and I think it's like five bucks you can buy and you get all this artwork and things like that. And I bought one cause I was just curious. Um, but, uh, I would, yeah, we should, let's play some That'd DCC. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe coming up. 
we'll we'll schedule something. I'll talk to you. I'll have my yeah. people talk to your people. Cool. My <laughs> uh, bardic inspiration right. is, uh, which I guess I don't, we don't have a lot of time left, but uh, I've been thinking a lot about crafting magical items. So we always have these weird magical items that are, uh, and sometimes it's like the wand of Orcus forged from a god. And you can kind of understand like why this is such a big, powerful thing. But then you have like iron stones, which a wizard made, or you have other things that are like a wizard made this. And I believe earlier editions, crafting magic items costed you experience points. So if you were a wizard crafting something extremely powerful, then uh, you physically took a hit. And it's like, yeah, you have this new magic item that does this really cool thing, but like you yourself are weaker or you have lost levels or things like that. And I wanted to, I wanted to like, can we, how can we bring that to fifth edition? And that was the question I kind of wanted to ask you is like, I want to, I want a system where, I don't know, do you just permanently sacrifice three levels in order to make a wand of fireballs that I can hand out to other people? Now, I can use that wand of fireballs, so maybe that offsets the fact that I've lost three levels of wizard. But I don't know, what should magic item creation come with a sacrifice? Yeah, I mean, how do they get created in the first place? Yeah. They're powerful, so there, there's always got to be, a, I feel like there should be a downside to great, with great power comes great responsibility kind of there thing there was some great sacrifice or great monetary input or material component. I always thought the idea too would be like really hard to get material components. If you want to build a wand of fireballs, you had to somehow defeat a fire elemental 10th level fire elemental and get its essence or something. Yeah. I like that. That there's a danger tree and get some of the bark that could hold the essence Mm. of the fire elemental you killed. I always like that. The problem I keep running into with doing that idea, because I love your idea with the magic items stuff, we've talked many times about cool magic items, is it becomes something about what one character gets to do, and it's hard to do it when you have six people in the party. You know what I mean? Like, without it just being, we'll fa- we'll help our buddy out to go do his thing, but that doesn't really kind of line into the storyline that we're a rod of seven parts. We've got seven parts of rods to go find. Where am I going to have time to go get the treant branch defeat the fire elemental and this it, while it's we a got very this different game if you're yeah. if you're gonna allow crafting like that i think it is a very yeah. different game you need a sandboxy game where it's like what do you guys want to do today like downtime and you yeah. don't have that pressing like we got to save the multiverse you know mm-hmm. so uh but I, I i do like that where it's like i have to i have to summon a demon i have to charm it i have to refine it into a mm-hmm. dust that then i can merge with this liquid and put into uh, a wand or something now and then that wand me. allows me to do x y and z yep. it was there very it was. dangerous to create but i there there has to be a risk with item magic item creation yeah. that you could potentially get hurt i think you just inspired so, me i want to run a campaign ahead. where nobody levels the experience points add up you all your abilities stay at 10 and it's only through your crafting of magic items that you can increase or gain anything new that you don't have as just a normal person. And, and you spend your experience points and you spend your resources and all of your adventurings about gathering stuff so that you can build your armor, your swords, and then you want more stuff and you want you need more money and you need... It's like this 
sinkhole of you trying to gain materials because you want more powerful stuff so that you finally can cast a fireball or you finally can shoot a lightning bolt out. But it only comes from gear. It doesn't come from abilities. There's no book you can read that makes you do it. It all comes from the gear you build. It makes you more powerful. Uh, and throw something I, I know. I like it. Similar similar game you should check out. A uh, friend of the show, Ben, Questing Beast, uh, he wrote a game called Knave that yeah. is exactly like that. So mm-hmm. if you... But I think it's about finding items. So as you're traversing, when you find armor, all of a sudden your AC goes up. Uh, When you find a magic wand, you can now cast this spell. When you find a sword, you can attack with that sword. But the equipment you're wearing is what defines your character, not... I start out as a wizard and I'm not, I'm not allowed to wear armor this, yeah, because I'm a wizard. It's I found armor. I can do that. So, yeah. uh, but I don't know. I wonder if XP is the way to go or if health, uh, part of me was thinking in this endeavor of like, what's a sacrifice for magic item creation um, is, is uh, do I lose hit dice? Like, that's kind of a, a th- I mean, you have a finite amount of them. So rather than losing levels, maybe I could, like, permanently injure myself by saying, well, now that I'm level 10, I made it this magic item. I only have six hit dice. I, I used four of them to create this magic item. And in doing so, I am hindered. Fifth edition, I'm not hindered that much by not having hit dice. But I don't know. It's kind of an interesting concept because then you have a finite amount of, of crafting that you could do. Mm-hmm. And our systems could actually merge. We could have, uh, I have to go get the fire elemental, but at the same time, just the act of making this, you put a little bit of yourself in it. So, I don't know. Be very cool. I don't know. I want to. Uh, I want to refine the reason I'm talking about. I have like a million ideas. We were actually just talking about having too many ideas at the beginning of this, too but many. I want to write crafting rules that really specifically, like, how can I make this. But make it, I don't know. And then there's got to be a sacrifice. And that's what I want. So Mm -hmm. that, but the legacy, you know, you could be the Mordenkainen. You could be like, Mm -hmm. I made this spell called Mordenkainen's Magnificent Mansion. And it would go further into your games. The same thing. Uh, Jordan's Silent Sword of the PH could then be passed down and and then how much fun is that is and maybe it's just something that you have in yourself but like how much fun is that it is while you're playing a game uh you could say like oh no you find this sword and somebody's like that that actually was i my character made that sword like (laughs) five years ago when we were playing how cool that you have it right now you know so it's kind of cool and how did that goblin king get it exactly Goblin Kings be stealing swords left and right. Yeah. <sighs> Pretty good. I'm inspired. I'm thinking about ways I could do it. How can I make it work? Uh, and then, there, <clears throat> yep, there's uh, maybe, a, yeah, I don't know, like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, formulas and stuff. I'm thinking of Lord of the Rings now and like, um, what was uh, the rings and then what was uh, Sauron's name before he became Sauron? It was like Lovatar the king of gifts or something i can't remember now oh, my forgotten realms lore is bad um we have five minutes left you want to talk about a game yeah What'd i'm playing do? uh dungeon of the mad mage completely mapped out level one mostly. excellent um ready to go down to level two excellent. and here's the cool news of all of that it, it sounds like maybe we're gonna play tonight <gasps> extra session in what? the week 
because normally we play on Tuesday nights, which is crazy. So I don't know. Hopefully it happens. You know how it is. Players be players. So if the schedules work out, the DM is ready to go. So if you got a ready to go DM, typically you got all you need right there. Yeah. Hopefully we're going to try to place tonight. And if we do, we get to go down to level two Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Bum, bum, bum. Man, that's got to be um, exciting cool. to like map it out. And then, are you, how are you map? Well, okay. You guys are playing on roll 20, right? Yeah. So mapping it out for you is just exploring, and then you have the map finished. I have the cartographer's skill set, and that's the job I have in Ack Inc. from the Ack Inc. book. Right, right. And I have tools and materials that every, I don't know, about every hour or so, I make my group stop and give me 10 minutes to draw the map out. Okay. Perfectly. And then Your so character. Danimal, my character. Yeah, you're so not Danimal drawing. then physically. creates a second map for us that is the one i'm drawing on um one of our roll 20 games so we can go back and refer to it and then our original roll 20 game is just fog of war so as we go through we don't really see everything that's happened behind us Mm -hmm. but we have the map that i've drawn now do they see your map your party members or do you have to relay that information pretend like they can open it up and yeah we don't we don't i like the idea of you're like okay let me look at the map yeah we need to go left guys yeah we need to go back no your other left yeah that kind of happened like we gotta go back this way or (laughs) we think something's that way or we looked at it and we thought do you guys think there'd be a a hidden door here kind of thing yeah so we are you doing some of that kind of stuff and um so somebody once said you should do um like if your players want a map they should draw, draw it. it yeah and <laughs> i tried that in a session and it went and awful <laughs> well like yeah they were all over the place and i was like actually oh let me just fix that for you and maybe i'm bad at giving uh instructions but like that was not good advice oh, maybe for they're bad at drawing maps. so uh or or they're bad i i i want to say it was my fault because i'm not always the clearest but uh yeah, yeah. man man anyway that's awesome you and animal playing some games really excited uh i'm i'm gonna have to make some i have to get some friends and play dcc that'd be fun anything else you got two minutes to tell us well revenar is going to be starting back up but i'd I'd rather hear about rod of seven parts and a wild mount in these last two minutes give us the two minute rundown uh rod of seven parts uh are they killed my succubus without interrogating her so they got zero not zero they didn't get in any information. Uh, so they don't really know what's going on. And we're kind of in a weird session. We're not going to be able to play next Wednesday. So they have a couple weeks oh. to figure out what they want to do. And I'm encouraging them to not, I, if they want to shop and stuff, I'm like, let's do that in chat. I hate shopping episodes in streamed RPGs. I don't want to hear mm-hmm. about like how you persuaded the guy to give you a 10 gold discount. Just, just tell me. So uh, we're going to go through that. But um they are they fired everybody who was in charge of the orrery to like now super put it in charge of hopefully people they can trust uh and this was something that i always try to have combat in my games and it's interesting because uh my rod of seven parts game had no combat that last game we played Mm -hmm. and my wild mount game we went an entire session without combat either it just didn't come up uh, and we were figuring things out. There was a lot of planning. Like we all had fun. And even my rod of seven parts players, they were saying like, yeah, we had a lot of fun, but we, I don't know. A combat just feel like that's a, that's D and D like you go, you fight stuff. Uh, so mm-hmm. it was weird. And it brought me back to a game I played a long time ago and they were very proud that we had a, a session without combat. Like how cool is that? And I was like, 
but that's the game. Like part of it is fun. I want to fight stuff. I want to use my abilities. Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess I just wanted to talk about that. Like I've never had that. <laughs> I've never ran a game where we didn't do combat. And then all of a sudden it happened to me two sessions in a row, my wild mount game back to back with my route of seven parts game. So, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. <clears throat> yeah. All of a sudden, a sniper or an assassin the... falls from the ceiling. Quick, fight him. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Now we can get back to doing other stuff. Is there combat on the horizon, or are you going to have a few more sessions of no combat? Uh, no, no, no. There is combat on the horizon. And oh, with okay. the Wild Mount game, we actually ended with, and then we'll roll initiative, Holy and it would turn into an actual <laughs> game. But, like, that DM, uh, my DM, Nathan, he felt very, he was just like, yeah, I'm sorry, guys. We didn't actually fight anything. And I'm like, eh. Like, I was okay with it, because I like hanging I out with my session. friends. But, yeah. Yeah, I had a Revenar session where the players are being so cautious about sneaking up on the Black Pyramid yeah. when they first found it that I felt like we went through two playing sessions of four hours before they even would go to the door, <laughs> even though I gave as many hints as possible that there was nothing on the outside that was going to attack them. They, they just knock on the door even, already. <laughs> they didn't do it. They were just like, no, we want to look around the mountain here. We want to climb a tree. You get ascending in your head that says, open the door. Yeah. Okay. Just, just go. <laughs> There's nothing here, guys. That's funny. That's funny. How true so, yeah, though. Yeah. We're, we're really cautious in wild mount too. I feel, uh, not because of the DM. I just have, we have a couple role players that are very like, man, like they, they just kind of want to. They want to talk through everything, and our yeah. group really needs a leader that's just like, we're doing this, and mm -hmm. I don't personally feel that my character is the leader type, but there's been a couple times where I'm like, while they're talking, I go over here and drink this, or I open this door, and, and the DM's just like, thank you. Thank you for... For doing an action rather than just talking about the hypothetical and i'm like no problem yeah. like our party started to just... talking to a dragon and then i shot it yeah, yeah. just to get <laughs> things going there you go <laughs> just to get moving <laughs> uh good show this was fun uh that's our show ladies and gentlemen we're gonna bounce uh lucian is hungry he always has to eat after i'm this starving show. and i got a pool um, to go swimming he's got a pool lots of things going on i've got to readjust my lights um and apparently write a video for monday on uh tasha Mm -hmm. um you guys are wonderful this was really fun i like mm -hmm. i love i love hanging out and chatting with you go uh please rate us on itunes subscribe follow tell your friends about the show tell if you friends. like a particular awesome show be back next week because we'll probably have lots of information to talk about this mysterious book that's gonna get Heck yeah. yeah i think there will be i think there will be um until then stay safe wear a mask wash your hands and we will see you next week with another episode of the saturday morning D, &D show goodbye everybody Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.